Welcome to Oikos. I'm glad that you're with us. Before I get started this morning, if uh, John's and Jane, if you could just stand. I know I didn't talk to you about this, but just stand. Um, I'm going to tell you a quick little story about the Beshes here. You're going to have to stand for a little while. I know you want to sit right back down, but you're going to stand for just a moment. They actually started with Oikos the very day that I announced at 931 that we we're going to leave and start a church. And so they walked into 931 that day that I said, so if you, you know, if you want to plant a church, that's awesome, but it's going to be difficult, so I suggest that if, you, if you're not into that, don't come. And they said, well, we'll go, and they had no idea, and I just wanted to thank the Beshes because they are moving to California. So if we can just give thanks to God for what the Beshes have brought this past year and a half. John served on the first appointed board. That was uh, the board that I just got to choose. And he and Jane just have brought a lot of wisdom. And so I want to thank you for that. So thank you and God's blessings on your journey. Awesome. So you can sit down if you want to. Or if you want to come up here, you can. All right. Awesome. So we are in a new series today. Should I stay or should I go now? Actually, I didn't even plan that, but that actually just tied right in. So, how awesome is that? The Lord is working. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 8, and if you haven't been with us since we started Oikos, we have been going through the book of Acts. It takes a long time to get through the book of Acts if you actually want to read through the verses and think about exactly what is the Lord saying to us as we listen to his word. So we're in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia and the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And they preached the good news. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. Let's just rest there for a second because I think as we think, as we listen to the Lord's word this morning, so often we can listen to a story like this and just go, that doesn't apply to me. I pray this morning that you will hear the power of God's word and realize that in the moment that he decides to work, if he is looking straight at you and you have the faith to be healed, you will be healed. Time and time again. 
If the Lord wants to represent his kingdom in that way, he will do it. And if the Lord wants to represent his kingdom by not healing you and showing your endurance and patience, the Lord will comfort you during that time because he is a God who will stay with you in healing or in endurance. Today, in this story, there's a healing. And it's important because Paul wasn't recognized as an apostle. The other apostles, Peter, we see a a very similar story. He does the same thing. Well, what do we see here with Paul is that he heals as well so that the people can recognize that the power of God is working in him. So at this moment, it's not so much about the guy who's crippled. It's really about bringing authority to the message that Paul's bringing to the people. God's always working in many, many ways so that people can hear who he is and respond to his voice. Sorry for that little tangent, but as I was reading through this, I just sometimes think that we look at the story and we forget. These things happened. It's not just a mystery. Now I've got to find my place again because I lost it. So Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. Verse 10, so Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up, and the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes, since he was the chief speaker. Now, the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bowls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Just craziness was going on here. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people, shouting, friends, Why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you the rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. This morning, we're talking about the gospel. We can grab onto that word, the gospel, and so quickly move on to something else. R.C. Sprawls talks about the gospel and talks about this particular passage in this way. When the people preach the gospel without compromise, that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing in this region. They weren't saying, well, if you want to believe in Jesus, he could bring you some good life. Instead, they're saying Jesus is the only way. No matter what you think, let us tell you what the Lord says. When you preach the gospel without compromise, inevitably it provokes division because the truth of God divides. 
we need to understand that because we live in a time when we abhor anything that could possibly divide us, particularly in the context of the church. As a result, we continually compromise and water down the truth of the Word of God so as to offend no one. When I was preparing and I read this, I really thought this does speak to our culture today. It speaks to us right now. And it's easy, I think, as Christians to say, well, yeah, that definitely, that talks about American culture and our tendency to not want division and not want any ugliness. But I think it also speaks to our own hearts. So this morning, we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper because the experience of Paul and Barnabas was, should they stay in a place where people hated them? If you remember at the very beginning, they were not liked. In fact, they were trying to do anything to try to kill them and get rid of them. And yet they stayed. And then, for some reason, the violence increased, and then they decided it's time to go. And then in that place, just because they went to a new place, division occurred again, and people again didn't like them. Some then began to say, oh, you're awesome. And there's actually a side story to why this probably was so powerful in that region. Because there's a story, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Some of you have, how many of you read the Iliad and the Odyssey? How many of you remember it? (laughs) Exactly. That's why I'm not going to really share the story. But if you want to dig into it later, it's an awesome story of why they believe they're probably Zeus and Hermes. So there's a historical fact linked right into this. But the problem for them is that they began to then sacrifice to them, seeing them as gods. And both Paul and Barnabas would have no part of that. And again, they said, we're not here for that. We're here for one thing. And it comes before all other things. So what is this gospel? What is the gospel? If you had to say what the gospel is, what would you say it? Go ahead and just turn to your neighbor and just tell them what is the gospel. Even if you're wrong, I'm not going to listen. So just go ahead and tell them. Now, I see that some of you were struggling. And you know, that's all right. Because this is one of the reasons why we're pausing today on what the gospel is. Because I think we read texts like this and we hear Paul and Barnabas decided to stay and keep preaching the gospel, even in the midst of great persecution. And we go, okay, right? Oh, okay. But what is that gospel? Oftentimes, pastors, theologians will turn to one verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. So we're going to turn to that. John 3.16, if you go to John 3.16, you're going to see some of the gospel. I mean, you're going to not be able to disagree with it. If you You can, but it is the words of Jesus. Just kind of put it out there directly. It's red letter, okay? It's not like the black letters. It's the red letters. 
This is the words of Jesus recorded. He tells Nicodemus, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus. Sometimes we take John 3.16, actually all the time we take John 3.16 out of context. So I'm going to try to put it back into context. Nicodemus, he's a priest. He's a Pharisee. It gets to be dark after the lights go out. And he goes, I'm going to go find Jesus. Because I think God is with him. Because he's done all these things. But remember, he's part of the ruling priestly class that is also plotting to kill Jesus. He's in that group. So he waits till it's dark, and then he goes over and he goes, so Jesus, tell me more about you. And Jesus begins telling him, and he goes, well, if you want to believe in me, you'll need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how is that possible? How can I enter the womb of my mother again to be born again? And so Jesus begins telling him what life really should look like for someone who wants to experience the kingdom of God. Starts in John chapter 3, great chapter to read the whole thing, but we'll start in verse 16. For this is how God loved the world. This is Jesus speaking. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone think that sounds good for the gospel? Yeah. But in our minds, at least when I talk to people and I ask them about the gospel, they go, that sounds pretty good, but we will say it more kind of like this. God loves the world so much he or she, whether it's, we don't know if God is a she or a he, so gave love to everyone so that he, so that they could live in peace. If you believe in Jesus, awesome. What counts is that you are sincere in whatever you believe, and of course, try to be a good person. And God will give you abundant life forever. It really doesn't sound that bad, does it? In fact, I think it sounds pretty normal because that's what we say to our friends, to our family. Because in John 3.16, it just says some things that are way too negative. Like if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to perish. Have you said that to your friend lately? How many of you said that? <laughs> no, we don't say that, right? Because we just take John 3.16, we kind of massage it a little bit. So it's more acceptable. Would you all agree that's about what we do? Yeah, because that's kind of what we do with Scripture. And when God's speaking to us directly, that's kind of what we do with Him too. We massage it a little bit. And go, God, you didn't really say that. What you meant was this. You know, so preachers will use John 3.16 to share the gospel. And we hear it over and over and over again. And yet we still, I think, have a sense of what I just shared. Whatever you believe, just be sincere. 
But preachers rarely then continue because it starts getting really divisive if you continue chapter 3. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The only time I really hear pastors or people just actually count, just cross out pastors. We're just weirdos anyway. So just cross those out, just people. The only time I hear verse 17 come out is when someone goes, I don't want to be judged. So they say, you know, it says in the Bible, God sent his son in the world not to judge the world. And then they just leave the other part out. Because if they say, but to save it through Jesus, all of a sudden they just become divisive. Right? They just said that Jesus was actually a man who was sent by his father to save the world. But we don't like to say that because do we even really need a savior? And as we continue in these verses, I never hear anyone go to verse 18 and 19. 18, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. I mean, what's the worst word right now? Judgment, right? Don't judge me. Have you ever said that? Just raise your hands. I know you have. Whenever someone says something that you don't agree with, what do you say? Don't judge me. The problem with the gospel is that the gospel has a whole lot of invitation, but has a lot of challenge. And the challenge for all of us is that it can't be our way. It has to be God's way. So God did one thing. He sent his son to die for us and then to rise again to assure us that we would have life if we believed in him. But in our lives, we try to massage God's truth into a truth that seems more acceptable to us and maybe to those that we live life with. Verse 19, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than light for their actions were evil. So where do you love the darkness more than the light? Just take a moment and review. Where in your life do you love the darkness more than light? Where is living for Jesus becoming second to something else? Where is being associated with Jesus put in the darkness when you're with certain people? When is speaking for Jesus silence in your life? When do you let acceptance or approval or the status that you want Jump a front, jump in front of Jesus. Where are you looking for something that only God can give?
Verse 20, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Boy, isn't that true? But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they're doing, what God wants. Now remember, we're in the context. Jesus is speaking throughout time and space to us as well. But at this particular moment, he's talking to Nicodemus, who came to him under the cover of darkness, who's in a group plotting to kill him because they don't believe in him. And Nicodemus is asking, so who are you, really? And Jesus is basically telling him, Nicodemus, you're dealing with the sin of approval. You're more scared of the group of priests that you have status with. You're more scared of losing your status. You're more scared of losing your life than you are believing in me and fearing God. Because with Jesus, the full gospel includes huge invitation and huge challenge. Jesus, in this moment, is giving Nicodemus an invitation to come and follow him, to embrace him fully. And at the very same moment that he would embrace him, he would receive great joy and great life. But at that same moment, he would all receive great challenge. Leave your status as a priest behind. Stop plotting evil with this group. Drop it and come follow me. Nicodemus would need to forfeit his fortune and his fame his earthly future, his life, in order to receive the full invitation. Because for Jesus, you don't get to say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you as long as no one sees. As long as no one sees so that my life doesn't necessarily have to change. Or, Jesus, I'm going to follow you when it's convenient. You know, when I'm not super busy. Right? When I haven't overscheduled myself or when my job isn't pushing stuff on me. When my family seems normal again. I'll follow as long as things are going well, Jesus. He doesn't do that because he's asking you to jump in with him. He's asking you to trust him, that life with Jesus is better than life without. I'll follow as long as the things that I don't want to give up have to change. Because, you know, I'm a good person, and the stuff that I like to do is not bad stuff. 
It just happens to take over my life and jump in front of you. And by the way, Jesus, if I follow you that way, by the time I die, then it won't matter because I won't be doing that stuff. I'll be with you anyways. Have you ever thought that? Yeah. That I'll follow you once my life is over because I'll be with you forever. But Jesus never kind of gives that invitation to people. In fact, the rich man, he said basically that same thing. He said, I guess you're not going to follow me then. See, the gospel, the full gospel, John 3.16, means that it's major change. It means that you put your wants and desires aside and you trust that the wants and desires that God will give you are better than the things that you already have. Doesn't mean that you necessarily lose everything, but it does mean you gain everything. The gospel is change. And that's why he's speaking to Nicodemus about being born again. The life that you now have, Nicodemus, will be different if you follow me. It will be brand new. It will be awesome. And it will bring you great joy. For the disciples, this major change when they said, I will follow you, Jesus. It brought major change. It brought hardships. All of them, except for John, lost their life. But it also brought great reward. And it brought great joy. If you read Peter's letters, first, second, and first and second Peter, I almost went first, second, and third, and then you guys would send me an email saying there's no third Peter. But first, second Peter, there's great joy in there. You read the letters of Paul, and you look at all this stuff that happened to him, and there's still great joy. Read Philippians. Great joy. This morning, we get to hear a story of our team that went to Guatemala. And as they went to Guatemala, they had some sacrifice, but there's also great joy. And so what I wanted to do this morning is Michelle Vanderwater, she was one of the leaders on the team that went down there, is going to just share a small picture of what their trip looked like and then also share a story about sacrifice that brought great joy. So go ahead, Michelle. Don't get nervous. Is it working? Oh, uh, maybe it's working on here. Sorry about that. There. First of all, I wanted to share a little bit with you about what kind of work was done in Quebrada de Agua this time. This was the most multitasking trip that I have ever been on. Um, the first, first of all, Jim continued on with Colton and Nicholas to help them to get clean water. So they, I hate to tell you this, Pam and Jolie, but 
they climbed to the very tippity top of the mountain and uh, observed because the men are so gracious, they will not allow our guys, or maybe they don't want them to mess it up, I'm not sure, but they will not allow them to really get into the work part of it, but they did very graciously let them observe, and Jim was able to give them a lot of feedback on what they were doing and help them to hopefully improve their water situation there. So another thing that um, was done this time that was different was we brought in Dr. Julio, who was a dentist from Guatemala City, and he did nothing but tooth extractions. He took out about 129 teeth in three days. That was incredible to watch. Um, and along with him, Maggie Batterson worked to do dental hygiene and cleaning. And Sandy went around and with a big toothbrush and teeth and showed the people how to brush their teeth properly. And uh, Rachel and Sandy and I were able to go around to some of the classrooms and do some Bible stories and teaching as well with Charles Cohen, who is a missionary that lives down there. Um, also, uh, we, some of you, Sylvia I know had organized a garage sale here in Houston, and a lot of you contributed to that, and with that money, uh, we were able to add, each, we each added a little bit to that, and the teachers of the school had asked us for school supplies. So we were, we went out to a store and there in La Union and purchased a whole bunch of school supplies for the school. So that was awesome to be able to present that to the principal of the school. Uh, and that's, you know, from all of y'all. So that was cool. Um, but one thing that I wanted to share with you guys about some sacrifice, we all sacrificed time from our work, income for some of us who took off work, and just time with our families and children and such. But one person in particular who really, really sacrificed, and I did not ask her permission to share this with you guys, but I'm going to do it anyway, uh, was Maggie. When Maggie, go ahead and stand up. Awesome. When, uh, you can sit down. when the children would lay down on the little portable couch that we had there for them to get their dental work, they were as tense as a board. I mean, their toes were curled. They were so scared out of their wits because they had never had their teeth cleaned before. Maggie noticed that right off the bat, and she was so gentle with them. She, um, Bernadette assisted her many times, the majority of the time Bernadette was assisting her. I assisted one time, and I, every time I assisted, I was like, I, I thought I was going to heave, because the stuff that was coming out of these kids' mouths, and just to look into their mouths and see what happens, you know, when you don't have proper, proper dental hygiene was just amazing, and um, Maggie just found a way to make them feel comfortable. By the end of each cleaning, she and Bernadette, they, there was, Dr. Julio was playing 80s music in the background really loud, and they'd be like, doing all this, I can't do it, but they can do it. And they, uh, you know, they would make the kids laugh. They would just speak to the kids about how beautiful they were and how, what good job, they, what a good job they were doing on taking care of their teeth, because some of them actually did have really good teeth. So they had been brushing and taking care of them, and so, uh, the thing that was the biggest sacrifice for Maggie is we all got to rotate around and do all kinds of stuff. She was glued to her chair the entire time. 
And I cannot even imagine, she didn't get to go in the classrooms and see what we were doing in there. She didn't get to go and see what the water was like. She didn't get to, to go around and do anything but dental hygiene. And, but she was so joyful at the end of each day, just seeing the smiles on the kids' faces and just, she really connected with them. And Bernadette, I mean, as well, we all did, but just getting to be that close one-on-one -on -one with somebody in their mouth uh, is really a bonding experience, no pun intended. <clears throat> so she did get to put a lot of sealants in as well, so that was cool to prevent any decay going forward. So uh, I just wanted to share that because it was just, in my opinion, an ultimate display of sacrifice and true joy that she received and we all received from watching her in action. So thank you. If the team from Guatemala could all stand up, the whole team, and we will give thanks to God that you went and served. It's awesome when you see the gospel moved out in actions. And sometimes it's just the small, simple things of being able to sit in a chair and clean teeth day after day or love on a kid because you know that they're going home and maybe their home doesn't really have that much love in it. And you get to be the one person for that one day that reminds them that Jesus loves them. You don't have to go to Guatemala to have great sacrifice and see great joy. You don't have to go to Guatemala, but we get to. So I hope that as we wrap up this series of whether I should stay or whether I should go, as we continue this into not next week because we'll be doing confirmation, but we'll continue it the following week after that, that you begin asking the Lord, where are you asking me to follow you? Just follow you. Just look for where you are going ahead of me. And I follow. And maybe it's as simple as there's an older lady in your neighborhood that you pass by all the time and you see that she needs help and you, you stop and you help her. And you ask her a simple question about how can I pray for you? Because I believe in Jesus. Not just some God, but I follow Jesus. And I believe there's power in prayer. I believe that he can give you endurance to live out your life. Maybe it's a kid in your school that you drop off your kids at the school and you see this kid never has his parents around him. And you ask him what his name is. You talk to the school principal and see if that kid needs help. You take some action that may mean that there's some sacrifice you have to make. Maybe you have to call your boss that day and say, I'm going to be late. Maybe you have to cancel your, your vacation so you can help the old lady in your neighborhood. Those are sacrifices that at the very beginning you go, oh, that sucks. 
But I will guarantee you, when you do something for Jesus, it will bring great joy. The things that we chase after, on a daily basis, have they really brought you joy? No. Paul and Barnabas looked at this crowd that wanted to bring them great joy by sacrificing and putting things ahead of what the mess ahead of the message that they were bringing to them. And they said in verse 15, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. The gospel is clear and the words of Jesus are clear. Come follow me. And I'll bring you freedom, great life, endurance, love. And there will be great sacrifice. But with that great sacrifice, there will be great joy. The question is, will you stay or will you go? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given this this time to just look at a story in Acts and also the story with Jesus and Nicodemus. Too often we find ourselves in the shoes of Nicodemus rather than the shoes of a disciple. We find ourselves on the edge looking in, wondering, is this really a good thing? We find ourselves looking at Jesus going, I kind of like you, but I'm not sure if I really want to jump in and follow you. Because I like my life the way it is, I think. And yet there's something missing, and that's why I'm looking for you. So, Lord, I pray for the people who are here today, and they find themselves on the edge looking in. Lord, open up the door a little bit wider and invite them in. One more time. Let them hear those sweet words that you love them, that that they are your children, that you will not forget them. Remind them that they're a part of the family. That your gospel is about the redemption of returning your family home. Lord, help us as your children to represent you in this world. When we begin to chase after things that are worthless, remind us of their worthlessness. Help us to give thanks in all the things that we do have in the life that we have with you. And as we think about that song that Ashley and Jason sang about freedom, the freedom that's in your grace, remind us, Lord, that it's only by your grace that we can have that freedom, that we can have the freedom to follow. So I ask for your help today. And in this week, for the people who are assembled here, that we may represent you and represent your kingdom as your children because you've called us to be a part of your family. In your name we pray, amen.